Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Television, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I hope you guys like our nice little new intro we did. Very sitcom-like. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, today, we will be previewing the Crosstown Rivalry, UCLA versus USC. Should be a good one. And we're talking about Clay Helton and his status. He actually addressed his job security on Tuesday. That was pretty interesting, so we'll get into that. Of course, injury updates. And then a fun little stat, maybe not so fun, Ryan looked up yesterday about interceptions. USC's defense only has two interceptions on the year. What's that about? We'll get into that. And, of course, we will take your questions. I think we're having a little bit of problems on Facebook right now, uh, but I believe we are live on YouTube. Um... I think Periscope. So yeah. we Periscope will. Looks YouTube looks good, I think. So I just posted the uh, YouTube link on, on the Facebook comments. It's just not working there. So sorry about that. I don't know why. Yeah. Facebook's not working. We're not sure. But <laughs> a new day, a new technical difficulty. But we'll move on and survive. Uh, <laughs> we're getting some good feedback on our intro. People liked it. Right. So yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so. Someone said that was dope on Periscope. Well, there what you go. It's dope. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were at practice this week. Um, normally, when there's a lot of TV trucks at Howard Jones Field, you're like, okay, it's a big game probably. But it seemed like everyone wanted to talk about Clay Helton and his job status, um, especially after that loss to Cal. What does it look like for, for USC? Um, Clay Helton was pretty adamant. He said, I, my plan is to be here for the next 15 years. I feel comfortable where I am. It was an interesting, almost rebuke to the haters, I guess. Yeah. What did you guys think of, of Helton's comments? Yeah, Tuesday was kind of crazy. We got comments, uh, 15 more years. Um, did someone say no audio? Uh, the shotgun mic was not on. Oh, sorry. Man, we're just like, it's a rough Mine day. Okay, okay, let me get a little behind this baseball thing. I like got locked in my house earlier today. That was I went to the gym. Maybe that was a bad idea. I got locked out of my house. <laughs> Scrambled over here because I had to do, I was on the solid verbal earlier before hey, the show. Yeah, so that's cool. So listen to that. It'll be up. It'll be a USC show only. So Dan Rubenstein and I did like a 40 minutes or something. So that'll be up. But it was kind of scrambling to finish that and then get this. Shotgun actually showed up early today. So wow. there's been a lot going on. So I'm sorry about the uh, the audio stuff, but hopefully you can hear me now. So um, where were we at? Yes. Yeah, so we have... 15 more years, there's been a lot of, like, so Clay usually says something really interesting that fans will grab onto for good or bad or whatever. Yeah. The 15-year comment is something that everybody gravitated towards. I think you had a good tweet. I mean, you were just tweeting what he said. I tweeted, yeah, when I tweeted out instant analysis, I tweeted out what Helton said. My plan is to be here for 15 years, and I was immediately ratioed. It was insane. <laughs> People were like, 15 years? How about 15 more days? And it was just That incredible. was kind of funny. Like, yeah. And the 15-day thing could actually be real, like... If if Depending. the administration makes some sort of move after the season, it would have been about 15 days from that thing. Sure. So, but 15 years, I thought was an interesting. Uh, he's, I mean, I talked about this with Shotgun before the show, and we we hear from sources. You hear what's going on. I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going on, but you hear different things. What we had heard was the administration would rather not make a move. Like we'd heard that a whole bunch of times and stuff, but. The body language, the what what people are saying, what Lynn Swan said a couple weeks ago, everything that you're seeing there seems like it's not like when you hear someone that's like, oh, we're staying and they get fired like two weeks later. That doesn't that's not what it seems like to me. It seems like to me like that is really the plan. Like the plan is 
to keep this coach, you know, to keep Clay Helton as the head coach, just from just from my read on what people are saying out there. I don't know if you agree, but that's I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I think the next two weeks are very important, but that's my kind of read on what's what's going on. I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the results this year are going to affect what is going on now. If you lose bad to UCLA somehow, and you lose bad in Notre Dame, maybe that changes things. But as of right now, it still seems like Clay Hilton will be the coach next year. And we've talked about it several times, but it just seems like with the kind of power vacuum that there is at the school, the fact that there's an interim president, it, does Lin Swan have the power to go to if he wanted to make a change, even, even if he does? Now, I don't know that he even does want to, but if he did want to go, does he have the power to go and say, hey, I want to fire this guy. Okay, well, what's that buyout? That buyout's going to be at least two to three million, I'm guessing, uh, just because he has at least two more years left in the contract. So we'll say we'll say it's three million dollars. Who's going to? What's interim president's going to say? Okay, you can spend three million dollars to buy this guy out, but then also you're going to need five or six million to go get a you know head coach that's worthy uh, of coming to USC. You, know, I just don't think that there the power is there now. Maybe some boosters put up that money. I don't know, but uh, I think the interim president is still going to feel like the school is going to have to have that money uh, first. So. I don't think that there was much other stuff is going on at the school with all the, the scandals and the lawsuits and investigations and all that. It doesn't seem like the timing is right for them to make a move uh, and, and kind of change things up that way. And I don't know that the power is there because of how much there really isn't that figurehead at the top anymore with Max Nikias being gone. And it just seems like everyone else is kind of battling with each other to try to gain a little inch or, or a foot in the in the power struggle in the athletic department and everything. Uh, so I, I think that it just seems more and more like it is what it is. Yeah. And we're, we're not, like, just so everyone knows, we're not saying this is what should happen. We're telling you what we think will happen. Com all complaints, just tweet at Keely is my name. No, right? no. That's, no, do not do that. I'm already fielding those so far this week. But I, I think it is interesting, though. It seems like Clay Helton is playing into that angle because he's trying to make this seem like an isolated season. Like, this is one poor season, not this is a product of bad coaching decisions. That's kind of plagued Helton, but have been covered yes. up a little bit. Um, the interesting thing is he's already starting to pivot. He, after the loss of Cal, he started talking about Notre Dame and what they did. And I'm like, if I'm an assistant coach for Clay Helton, am I thinking, like, they, they're going to clean house afterwards? Like, what are you thinking as far as if you're an assistant or if you're a recruit? You're like, is my position coach going to be here after the season? Well, I, I wanted to ask this question in Clay Helton's scrum, but I was not – basically wasn't there for either one of the scrums this week. I was talking to John Baxter yesterday. I talked to him for about 15 minutes. Huh? You guys are BFS at this point. I was getting demonstrations and everything. It was great. <laughs> Here's uh, why we only had 10 men on that punt return. Is that what he was saying? We did talk about that. <laughs> we did talk about the fake field goal. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. Uh, but I didn't get a chance to ask this question. I wanted to ask it was, he's talked about this a couple times now. Well, you know, we're, we want to be like, basically we're saying we want to be like Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a program that had a down year and they bounced back. Well, Notre Dame did that by firing a bunch of coaches. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, you know, do you think this team would have to do that in in in, in order to turn their season around next year, to, to bounce back from this year? Do you have to go that same route, or do you feel comfortable enough with the coaches on the staff just to see what he would say? Unfortunately, I didn't get to ask that question, but that, that kind of is a question that comes up. Is like that Notre Dame did turn things around. 
But Notre Dame really only kept, I think, it felt, I think it was three coaches. I don't, I have to yeah. do the research on that again. But, but Ryan Kelly made some drastic changes on the team. Uh, is Clay Hilton ready to do that? Now he fired Neil Calloway already and uh, said that you know he couldn't look him in the face for another three weeks or four weeks or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know that's a, a person close to him. So what other changes will he make? We'll see after the season. Are there other people that he he can look in the face and for the next? couple Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, I know I'm getting rid of you too, but. It's all right. I can look you in the face. So the so if you talk to people inside the program, and that's the other part of this, where we're getting when you talk to sources like the party line, you're getting the company line where, hey, they went to the Rose Bowl two years ago. They won the Rose Bowl two years ago, didn't you? And and they won the Pac-12. What do they want? You know, it's a down year. You got a freshman quarterback. Like you're hearing those things, which are the talking points for. Here's why he's not going to be fired. But if you have, the problem is, and like Keely mentioned it, there were, there were problems that you could see before, even when they won the Pac-12, that there were changes that needed to be made. And, and you know, Clay Hilton has been very loyal and he hasn't made those changes. Like the Neil Calloway thing shouldn't have happened after week nine or whatever it was. It should have happened going into the season. We've seen similar things with Lane Kiffin. Like, he didn't want to get rid of James Craig. He went to the point where he actually hired a second offensive line coach, similar to what Clay did. He brought in Tim Drevno because he didn't bring in a running backs coach. So you're hearing that, the party line. So there are people, it's more on the inside, like they know what's going to happen. Or they, at least, you know, unless USC loses to UCLA, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, no change is going to be made. But it's almost like you're putting a spin on it now, like, you guys are wrong. You shouldn't think he should be fired. Here's the reasons why. And you're not winning the fan base over with that because there's a lot of weird stuff being said and they can see, like they know what's important to them. It was important to go on the road to Austin to play Texas and and be competitive at least. You want to yeah. win that game. And they weren't. Like they gave up 34 straight points. That To see the fan base there that came out in force and how excited they were. These are the diehard people. They're traveling. Yeah. And that was a disappointment. Last year, getting blown out by Notre Dame. Like, people that go to Chicago, and then they make that huge trip, and go to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl, and just getting blown out by these, yeah. these marquee teams. They don't care that you beat Colorado. They don't care about that. It was nice to win the Pac-12 last year, but the fans really care about these more marquee games, and they're not looking good in there. So it's not a blip. To me, it's not a blip on the radar. It's yeah. you, You've made a lot of bad decisions before, and now you're, you're seeing the results of those. Well, that's why having more space on what Helton said on Tuesday when I think about it, like initially I was like, these are just Heltonisms, you know, like Toa is the love of my life, like weird sayings that Helton <laughs> says, but they're just Heltonisms. But then when I had more space to think about it, it, it seemed almost kind of brazen for Helton to come out and be as bold as he was on Tuesday, given that I feel like the fan base morale is as low as it's been in a long time for him to come out. I mean, at least to be like, it's not where it needs to be right now. I understand that but I'm willing to make the necessary changes going forward. Something like that. But you didn't hear that. It was just, you know what, I don't I don't care. Like the fan base, once you do your job, they'll come around. It, it was a little brazen, in my opinion, to be that forceful on Tuesday. And I think you don't say that unless it was true. I mean, I don't think you come out and say that if you don't feel you have Lynn Swan's support. I think he does. I mean, yeah. I think that's real. Like Lynn Swan, you know, we had heard when he went on Trojans Live, he was actually going to say he's back no matter what. And we were all like, that just seems like a bad idea with four games left because you could lose to Cal. Oh, you did, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, we don't know what's going to happen in the last two games. 
we thought that was okay, but he what he said though was pretty strong about what he wanted. It wasn't like I don't think he would come out and say that if he really wanted to fire him. Like I don't think that was the case. So and we've heard some sources say no, Swan really wants him gone and all that stuff. But that's that's kind of we're hearing that a lot less than what we're hearing the other stuff where they really want to keep him. And and like we said, the body language, the the words that are being used, what Clay Helton said, being that you know brazen, if you want to use that term. It seems like that there is the support there. So for USA fans that think, oh, it's over, don't worry, it's happening. I mean, I I don't think it is. I mean, I don't think it's going to be. Now, all bets are off if you lose to UCLA and 2-8 and eight, Chip Kelly, which we'll talk about. But, you know, going 5-7 and seven and not making a bowl, that's not a blip on the radar. That's like there's, there's big problems that would need to be addressed. Yeah. USC has not had a losing season since 2000. USC has had, I believe this would be the fourth losing season in 55 years, or they've had four. It's either the fourth or the fifth. In 55 years. That's like four Achilles. Yeah. (laughs) Almost. Almost. Four Achilles? Okay. She's a baby. Um, (laughs) But this program has not been, like UCLA has had years where they'll go up, they'll go down, they'll go up, they'll go down. Like they did it in Amora. You know, it's basically like a yo-yo the entire time. They've had losing seasons. They've had five and seven seasons. USC hasn't had those at all. It's been, you know, that's basically a fireable offense. You have a losing season, like, all right, we don't do that here. Yeah. yeah. You're done. Yeah. So USC right now, at best, you're going to be six and six up to the regular season. At best, because you're not beating both of the rivals. I just don't see it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, if they were to beat Cal convincingly the way they looked early, I would have had confidence that maybe they could even beat Notre Dame, but – there's just nothing there to give you any confidence towards no. anything. It's all more worry about can they do enough to, to beat UCLA versus yeah they, they you know they're playing better. No, they're not. They're not. They're not playing better. They're not looking like they have 41 yards of offense in the second half. Yeah. Well, 31 plays. That's no, it's terrible. No yeah. matter the opponent, they'll find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. That's the thing. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, UCLA might be awful at times, but. USC can also find a way to. I mean, they gave Cal the ball essentially multiple times. Um, but yeah, it's two short fields, and uh, it seems like it's a team where if they get punched in the mouth, it's like you go down. It's like a glass jaw sort of thing. There's not a recovery. Well, from I, it, I've know? asked a bunch of the players. I've asked some of the coaches. Like, why? Why is this team not able to respond when the momentum flips? Because it once the momentum flips, it's done. So it's straight downhill. <laughs> I mean, against Stanford, they couldn't do anything to turn the momentum against. Uh, Utah and Texas, both up early in both those games, 34 straight points. Against Cal, who has a terrible offense and cannot score points, you were up 14 nothing, and you gave up 15 straight points. Once something goes bad, and that's the thing, once something goes bad, and it doesn't, I mean, there's the snap over the head. You give them a safety. Okay, it's a safety. It's two points. Yeah. And that's what I didn't understand because I was talking to a lot of the players this week, like offensive players. What happened? Where was the switch that you guys just couldn't get it going in the second half? And they said the fumble, the the safety, and even still, you're it's fourteen to two. Like why? Right. And the whole whatever happened on the sideline with Isaiah Langley, like why are you that mentally f- fragile, if you will? That that's something that really changes the momentum. Like that shouldn't be the case, especially no. the way you're playing in the first half. And, and the next drive before they throw the interception, they got a couple first downs. So it's just like, okay, you can come back out. And you, but no, you throw, you get second and eighteen because you get, a, uh, you lose eight yards. Uh, I think it was a sack on first down. You try to throw again. He throw throws it, throws the pick, and suddenly now they've got the momentum. They're running, and they score two times in a row. 
Whereas USC also in the first half, they should have. That's how they should have taken the momentum. Yeah, you know, when they had a short field, more than fourteen. Yeah, because it's the whole game started with Cal calling for a fair catch and fumbling the ball at, at the their, three yard line. <laughs> yeah. And USC, I think, forced a three and out. Maybe maybe they give them a first I think down. It was a three and out. Yeah. Yeah. And they get the ball on the plus side. Like okay, plus side. We're going in to get some points. They try the fake field goal. It doesn't work. John Baxter said he'd call it again. Basically, um, that's fireable offense. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, the play was set up correctly. There's a he's very. I was debating this with Joey Kaufman yesterday. For those who registered, there's a very slim chance that if he cl- catches that ball cleanly, then he would have ran for it. It was a very nice play by the defensive back on that Trevion Beck, uh, who was talking more crap than anyone else on that field. I don't know how are the USC players got all the penalties, but he didn't get anything. Um, <laughs> it was. It was I mean, remarkable you, how much he was talking. If you want to talk crap, about. then you you stop a fourth, you stop a fake field goal. You don't talk I, crap and then give up a touchdown. I wonder if that was what touchdown. it was. The, the referees were like, "Well, he's earning his his uh, yeah. his crap talking." You just abilities. got burned for a touchdown, <laughs> so maybe you shouldn't be talking crap. It Elijah was, Griffin didn't talk anything after that because he didn't play again. He got benched after that. Well, he didn't play again on defense. At least he played a little yeah. bit special teams. I don't. I don't. Where you guys? I'm sorry if you had something, but the, no. on the defensive side. I feel like, and I, I talked about this with, with Dan earlier when we were doing the show, but sometimes people get on the defense. They don't like Clancy Pendergast and all that stuff. You know, and I think it's been it's it's been pretty good, but you know, there's there's been spots, sure, that there have been problems, but I feel like they've been putting a lot of put in a lot of sudden change situations. And some games they've responded really well, forced three and outs, things like that. And other you know, other ones they haven't. And I can sense, it seems like there's frustration there with yeah. the offense. You know, like what Isaiah Langley, whatever, was doing. So, I don't, I mean, I don't want to be like a defensive apologist or whatever, but I feel like they've done their job more than the offense have had. They've, they've always been putting these weird spots. And sometimes they step up and play really well, and other, other times they don't. And I think some people won't give credit considering how many injuries there are on on the defense defensive side if port augustine still leads the pac-12 leads the pac-12 in sacks <laughs> still has, still which is crazy and he hasn't played in how many weeks and so you're missing port augustine you have your you have your nickel turned safety there how many injuries do they have and yet they're still playing pretty well enough to keep usc in games and if you had on the offensive side major players out people would be like well okay like come on give them a break you know yeah michael Pittman's out or whatever but for but some reason the defense three other five-star wide receivers like you're, you're yeah fine, you the know? defense doesn't get as much of a break and, and as far as the frustration point during the whole iman marshall breakdown during the game, Clay Hilton walked up to Johnny Nansen and Clancy Pendergast and said, I want a three and out right now. Let's go. And and Clancy just stood there and like didn't say a word, but you could tell he was just so frustrated because it's like, yeah, it's like why are you do, turning do your to job. me and yeah. saying, like, give the three and out? Like, do your what's, job on offense. What's your favorite point, Clay? You guys scored in the second half. Oh, wait, you don't have any? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, so I, I think that frustration is definitely there. Poor Gustin's been out over a month now. Yeah. He's wow. missed four games, so. One of the things you can knock on the defense, though, and we talked about this, we put this on our little deal. Uh, what What's your favorite interception USC's had this year? Because there's only <laughs> been two of them. That's not uh, true. <laughs> there's been four. Just two of them have come on two-point conversions. Right, so they don't count. And there was that uh, biggie interception that was a weird penalty at Arizona. Awful penalty call. Yeah. yeah. So that would have been an interception. But they, uh, they are last in the country in interceptions. So I think they're tied with East Carolina. But East Carolina's only played three games. I mean, uh, nine games, and USC's played ten. So, like, as far as interceptions per game, um, USC has uh, .2 interceptions per game. Um, 
so that's that's not good. But and I think our, our friend Alicia tweeted out that USC is actually number two or something in the nation and passes defended. A lot of that's coming from defensive linemen and linebackers. Uh, but I don't know. What do you guys make of you know being that bad? Two interceptions all year. I didn't even notice that. Someone actually on our YouTube comments, like from Instant Analysis, like pointed that out. I looked it up. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's crazy. Yeah, I think I pointed it out a couple weeks ago. Oh. It's been because the to fact- yourself, like not to us. <laughs> I pointed out. I also pointed out that Alcacedric Ware is leading the leading the Pac-12 in uh, yards after contact per carry, and, the, and USC just pointed it out too earlier on a tweet. So oh. I feel like I point things out, and nobody pays attention to it. But it's okay, guys. It's okay. But just think about how many how many uh, two point conversion attempts have there been this year? Three, maybe four. Have two like that. interceptions. Is I, I, I mean, four. I think is the highest it could be. I don't even think that. I think it's been three, uh, but. They faced 345 pass attempts um, compared to three two-point conversion attempts, and they have <laughs> an equal number of interceptions. On. Now, part of it is sometimes interceptions, you got to be lucky to. A tip ball pops up in your air in the air, or a tip ball at the line of scrimmage goes right to someone. Uh, but USC hasn't had that luck at all. And even, you know, I thought that John Houston might end up turning into an interception, the, the play early, the, that they ruled a fumble, but then he was down. But... I thought it might, you know, not be a catch yet. Like if it was being bobbled, that would have been an interception. Like those type of things. Like USC has had no luck at all with that type of interception. Like a guy's bobbling the ball and it pops up and someone, you know, pulls it out of the air. Like John Houston did that one. Uh, but they haven't had no luck on that, which is why I think they're leading the nation in passes defensed compared to interceptions, um, because usually there's a correlation. If you're getting your hands on the ball to, to deflect it, then you end up getting more interceptions. That's not been the case for USC this year. No. Not good at all. Um, one last thing before we get into questions. So we've said already it looks like Helton will be coming back for next season. Say he does go the Notre Dame route, try and clean house. Do we trust Clay Helton to make those hard decisions and make the decisions that are needed? And what coach do you think will come when Helton might be a lame duck? Yeah. We, I mean, we talked about the lame duck thing before. I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue. It's more about does Clay Helton want to go out of his comfort zone and not look at his own Rolodex and just go get the best people at different positions. I think the most important thing, I, and, and you know, we've talked about this kind of stuff before, I think USC can make some changes and, and get better results like fairly quickly just on the, on the coaching staff. I think you need an entire coaching staff that recruits full-time. Like you can't survive in college football and have rely on just a few of your coaches to be the best recruiters. I think that's very important. But for me, the number one thing is bring in somebody else who's an offensive guru. Like that, you get an offensive coordinator that will run his own system. That this is my offense. Someone that has some amazing offense somewhere, come in and install that here. Don't do whatever you've been doing that's left over from Kiffin and Sark and all that stuff. Forget all that. You're not the play caller. You're going to be the CEO. Bring in somebody who's a guru uh, to come in and do that. I think that would be the most uh, important thing. You can make some changes all around for you know different positions that need to you know need some changes there. But the most important thing to me is bring somebody else in to run an offense. That's that's coming from. You don't like that? I see. No, I like that. I don't think it will happen, though. No. I mean, when you take over the play calling, you say, well, I've really wanted to get back to play calling. That's that's who I am. You know, that's my nature. And, you know, I I feel like I just need to get comfortable as a head coach first. I mean, he's probably saying those just because he wanted to move a T. Martin out and he felt there needed to be a change. But 
if you say that and then like, okay, we got this whole new offense coming in, like that's a complete 180. I don't think that that's going to happen. I feel like he's going to still want to have his input on it. I still, I think he likes stuff in this offense, even though there's not the decided schematic advantages that you see at some other places no. uh, on the offense. I mean, USC does some things well, but a lot of times it's, it's just their athletes are doing things well. Right. And, and that's part of every offense. There's plays Alabama runs. The other team knows exactly what they're going to do, but Alabama's better, bigger, and stronger. And you can do that. But it never seems like, wow, that was just a great scheme play. That guy was so wide open. Everyone, I mean, it's like four times a season maybe. We're like, oh, that's a really good play. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, half the time it's been on plays that have failed. Like, I really like that play at Texas, the fourth down call at Texas. That's something new. They didn't haven't shown that before. It didn't work, though. We showed the Tyler Petit touchdown in the intro. Uh, that was I think Chris who did the intro. He's like, I wanted to get Tyler Petit a little bit of love. That was a good play. That was from was it the Jack? Was that Jack Sears or Matt Fink? I forget. Matt who, Fink. It was Matt yeah. Fink. Yeah. At Utah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I don't have a whole lot of confidence. The original question, Keely, that the there will be uh, Brian Kelly kind of changes. Yeah. I think it would still be keeping it close, and it's just that's not gonna. If you so if you're a, someone that just doesn't want Clay Helton around you're probably not rooting for a whole bunch of big changes, you know, uh, because he could make some big changes and this team can be good. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to get to like playoff good, but probably good enough to not be fired good. And that's going to make some people upset. So, yeah. uh, but I think he can, it's in it. You know, he saw it with Dylan McCullough. Like you can see that was a great, do that again, a whole bunch of times that made a huge difference. Yeah. One position coach with one position, just getting an outside guy who's good at his job, not promoting from within, not to go get someone that's done it somewhere else, proven themselves somewhere else, and let them come do it at USC. He does that a bunch of spots. I think it's going to be a huge help. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, you would think that you've seen the results from you've hired people you know versus when you went out and got Dylan McCullough, you would think you'd be like, hey, that's a good idea. We probably right. should do that over and over. You would also think that... You There's a lot of things you would think would happen with this that don't happen. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You'd think that Toa Lovendon might be moved out uh, a little bit. Face palm. <laughs> but thing. no. So that's why I'm a little skeptical because it hasn't been... He doesn't have a track record of making those changes that seem glaringly obvious. You have to make... When you get paid that much money, you have to make really tough decisions, you know? And, and part of it is... Toa Lobanon would be taking somebody else's job if you moved them over to guard or whatever, you know? And it's like, that's that stuff is going to happen. You have to yeah. do that for the better of the betterment of your team. Yeah. You literally wouldn't have lost if you, I mean, I think you could say this. If you start Brett Nealon in against Cal, you win. Yeah. Like, do you, is that fair? Maybe. I mean, Maybe. You, I think you have if a you much better chance. you take away the safety, of course. Yeah, yeah like... The, they don't lose, they don't win and, and we saw him in, in UNLV. I talked to him after practice on Tuesday. How'd that go? You know, he didn't give me anything juicy. Like I was kind of hoping for him. It's cool. You know, he's. I mean, he's a really nice kid. And, yeah. Uh, but you know, he didn't say, "Yeah, man, I should be starting" or anything like that. Which you know, I wanted to see if he wanted to say that. But no, he's <laughs> he's very supportive. Uh, but you know, you have two full time centers behind him. If Toa ends up playing guard, I mean, who knows? Maybe he doesn't give up some of those sacks. Like the, there was, you know, that was more of a scheme thing that, you know, Toa gave up a couple of sacks with delayed blitzes up the middle that, you know, he didn't, he went to double team somebody instead of staying with his guy. Yeah, I'm not saying that. That was protection issue. I don't, that wasn't an individual. Those were, that wasn't your, your physical beat. That was yeah. a protection issue. But then the question becomes, is Toa the one calling protections? 
So yeah, is it on him in that regard? So that's the thing. The thing we don't really know, and it's hard to really tell from watching the game or even you know from being on the sidelines like Healy and are, are is how much is Toa the center because he can make the calls and he can call things out and he diagnoses better than Nilon or Didich does. I don't. That's yeah. hard to say. Like we yeah. can't. Unfortunately, we can't just go give them a test and be like, all right, what do you run on this when you see this? Dude? Like if we could just do that and have that test that we give to every offensive lineman, then we know a lot better who would be a good center. Yeah. You'd hope, but we can't. It's tough. That that's that's a really tough one because Toa yeah. is a captain. I mean, super nice guy. You don't, but I think it's better for him. Now, I'm not yeah. saying he needs to sit forever, but like, do something. Like you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And I think Clay Helton said like something after practice. Was it after practice yesterday with the, with a defensive player? It's like we was talking about Iman Marshall. That you know, you do that again, you're going to be like standing next to me or something. It's like, I mean. When was the time for oh, that to happen? Like, this is now, you're going into game 11. Like, oh, now you're going to start, like, sitting dudes if they screw up? Like, he, I, Did he yeah. say that yesterday? He said that. He said that. He said on Trojans Live yeah. earlier in the week. He said, you know, if those type, of, those type of penalties happen again, they'll be standing beside me. And he, for some reason, he gave out, like, a set time. He's like, they'll be standing with me for seven or eight plays or something like that. And it was like, yeah. what What determines seven or eight? Like, is it 15-yard or seven or eight? What if they, it's just, a you know, jumping off sides? Is that three or four plays? Like, I don't <laughs> Like, yeah. It just seemed weird that you would give a set number of plays. All right, they got to set up this number of plays. Somebody get back to me when they're on number eight. Yeah, and, and retroactive uh, uh, punishment doesn't usually work like that. Retroactive discipline is not one that works, I don't think. But let's get into questions because we're already okay. halfway through this show. Oh, yeah. Do you look like you have one, Ryan? Or no? Wait, just real quick, uh, a bunch of people, uh, Jason Kane, who's from Japan. Hey, Jason. Sometimes um, from Japan. Sometimes, not always. Uh, but... <laughs> A lot of he said there's a lot of people that Brian Kelly had a winning record uh, elsewhere first. Yeah, I mean Brian Kelly had a, a track record, but he also went to a national championship game. Things got bad, and he changed his staff. So uh, I think that a lot of people have been kind of pointing that out too. But I, yeah, I I think Clay Helton does need to do a, a complete overhaul of the staff. I'm not sure if they're going to do that. If he's, if he's referencing Brian Kelly, he should be able to do that. But I don't think it's an excuse like oh you have a blip and you. Uh, we can bounce back like Notre Dame because the point is Notre Dame was in the national championship game before USA with the Rose Bowl and that's great but it wasn't like they were at that pinnacle where they played Alabama for a for something meaningful they played them in a preseason game that they got smoked in it's <laughs> also true true we have a question from Justin who says does any other university have as many players deciding to transfer or they get removed from the program as USC like is that normal or does that does USC keep letting talent slip through their fingers um, we didn't address this yet, but Clay Helton did confirm on Tuesday that Levi oh. Jones is no longer on the roster. Um, so that's another uh, check to the or number to the attrition rate that USC has had currently. So, uh, but as far as Justin's question, what do you guys think? No, the most USC has the most by far in the world. No, I, I mean it's, it's hard to. Say. I think you're going to get some level of attrition. Yeah, just all about the time anywhere. you get. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to look into this for the war room tomorrow morning. So if you guys check back, I'm going to try to look into it. I know the numbers USC has in the last four recruiting classes, not counting the 2018 class, uh, which is the current freshman. But the four before that, USC has 24 guys that have left the program in some form or shape or fashion. Um, and then you get the comments, which I, I'm sure we got a couple of comments from it, uh, questions about it. The comments from Kenny Bigelow. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jordan Simmons basically said, hey, it, it's crazy that I got to play more snaps in my first start in the NFL than I did at USC, which is true. And 
I don't think he was insinuating that, and he came back later and said that he was not uh, insinuating anything about the USC program, but I think he's just talking about the journey he's had because of the knee injuries that were so consistent for him at USC. Great to see him doing well in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome to see. A guy that was you know, expected to be a three- or four-year starter for USC because of how, how good he looked coming out of high school. But then Kenny Bigelow basically answered that, and he's like, it's uh, it's amazing how that happens. Uh, basically, the people get better after they leave USC, which he has done. He has gone to yeah. West Virginia and has been an impact player for him. Great to see him doing well as well. Uh, but he's a guy that basically got pushed aside. Uh, and I think he part also of, was injured a lot. As he was well. injured. He was injured early, but then he was healthy, and USC True. needed help, and they were not. They would rather like move Brandon Peely. Or they they were playing other people besides the veteran yeah. for whatever reason. And here's what's ha what happens: new position coach, not his old position coach. Ku comes in. Ku's going to groom the younger guys. Ku, I talked to him about Jacob Lichtenstein yesterday. His eyes lit up. That's a guy he recruited. That's a guy yeah. who who has been progressing under his watch. He's going to work to get those younger guys better rather than you know the fourth year senior that has you know been injury plagued. It's like oh yeah, he's come back in. If he's ultra talented and can take over that spot. You know, I'm sure that they would keep him in there. Like Stevie Tuikolavatu came in and was such a needed boost for them, um, which was after Bigelow's injury, actually. But I, I, he never felt like KU had that connection with, with Kenny Bigelow to where he thought that he should be in there. And because of that, he played his younger players. And that happens a lot of times when you get new position coaches and stuff. That's not uncommon in college football. Yeah. Where a new coach comes in and an older guy basically gets run out because they're like, I like the younger guys better, and I'm going to work on grooming them because I'm going to have them for the next three years versus you for this one year. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the situation happened there with him. And like I said, great to see Kenny doing well at West Virginia. Always a, a great kid for us. You know, he's done the, did the podcast I think a couple times. Didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he's been. He's yeah. I don't have any. Uh, I like Kenny a lot, so I'm, I'm glad he's doing well. I'm glad Jordan's doing great. You know, like yeah. He he had less chances, but then I think. He was hurt a lot, and then once he got, it was none of those things like when you come off the injuries, he was healthy. They just never really found a a place for him. You know, they kind of moved him around a little bit, and it just it just didn't seem to work. Sometimes that happens when you get injured often early. Then by the end of your career, like even if you have if you're healthy and you can play, it just for whatever reason it doesn't quite work out. And at a position like the offensive line where there's not rotation and normal rotation, like if you're if you're a talented quarterback and you get injured and someone takes over the job and they do well, you're not getting the job back. That's yeah. when, that's why you see so many quarterbacks transfer. You don't win the job, you know, you're going somewhere else to try to find the job. Offensive line is somewhat similar to that because, you know, it's about communication, it's about working as a unit. The five, you know, five fingers make a fist uh, analogy. All those type things. And, you know, if you come back in the middle of the year in particular, it's hard to work in the, you're in the rotation. Also, Jordan Simmons got robbed by the NCAA and by USC as yeah. well. By play, He played in the Holiday Bowl, I think, on extra points, if I remember correctly. And because of that, they wouldn't give him a, you know, an extra year of eligibility. The guy's had multiple knee surgeries, and you can't give him an extra year because he played like seven snaps or something in the Holiday Bowl. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Luckily, now that wouldn't happen. But Yeah. Moving on, Tessa Troy wants to know, any news on any new freshman getting playing time this week? Isaac Taylor Stewart, question mark? Isaac Taylor Stewart's not going to play because he's already has four games, and why would you play him and waste his red shirt? Uh, he's going to stay. Yeah, he wasn't even at practice yesterday. Uh, he did practice on Tuesday. It looked, looked much better um, than he did last week. Other than that, I think you'll still see Elijah Winston. Um, he's played, played pretty well. You saw Abdul Malik McLean for the first time last game. You saw Jordan McMillan, a freshman uh, walk-on. 
that they champion as if someone else goes down at the safety position, he'd be the next guy up after <laughs> after C.J. Pollard. So uh, he saw him on some special teams opportunities. So those two guys made their debuts yesterday or not yesterday, last game. Besides that, I just don't think you're going to see anybody else new coming in. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's anybody. Unless so. Solomon Tulia-Pupu gets healthy in the no. last two games, no. which is which he's still not practicing. He's not in practice, yeah. He did do some running, though. That's a positive. But it, it's also amazing that his injury has taken so long to heal when he thought he would be back for fall camp. Yeah. Yeah. I remember covering him at the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii, and it was like, you know, he was in a boot and stuff, but it just seemed like, oh, it was going to be, like, weeks or something. He you know? told Chris Trevino, like, no, no, I'm good for fall camp. And yeah. Was, and I was standing there like, okay, and then, It's no. like, we're in week 11. Yeah. In a, in a, or week 12 or whatever. We have a question from Tommy Watkins. He says, anything really changed since Clay Helton is calling the plays? They look horrible in the second half. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think the play calling was the issue. So people that were getting on T. Martin, I think it's more about the offensive design. So we talked about that before. I don't. I don't see that big of a difference. The biggest difference you see is when Jack Sears or Matt Fink are in there versus JT Daniels. So it's more of a cohesive offense with those two guys. They're trying to like protect them. Where JT Daniels, they're like, go out and win us the game. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest difference. When they run the ball, it makes it a lot easier for them. Yeah. And they run the ball okay in the first half. I mean, the big run from Cedric Ware with a very nice block from Elijah Vera Tucker. And then Toa also getting to the second level. But they didn't really run the ball at all in the second half. I mean, they, they had some, but it was like the, you had the big negative plays that like hurt the, the overall numbers in the second half. Yeah. Going back one question, back to who may play. Marquis Step is at three games. Why in the world they played him this last game? Four snaps on kickoff coverage. I have no clue about uh, because if they get two guys injured right now, you know, yeah, like get some, two guys injured already. If somehow, if, if somehow that Vi and Oxedric Ware both suffered significant injuries, you. Are you going to play him against Notre Dame and then burn his red shirt for a bowl game if you if you make a bowl game? Like, yeah. It didn't make any sense to play him for four, four snaps. But anyways, he, he's got three games. So he's got one game left. Elijah Winston has one game left. Juliana Falanico has one game left. Randall Grimes, Caleb Tremblay. Even though Randall Grimes is focused on academics, Caleb Tremblay is out injured, still not practice. Chase Williams is a guy you may see. Yeah. We haven't seen since early in the season. He's back, uh, looks healthy. He didn't dress last game, but he looks healthy enough. This week, he's only played two games, so you might see him this week. Cool. Well, a question from Jay Smith who says, if Sash, when a new president comes in, will he look to remove, or she, the AD and bring in his own AD? That's the thing. It, it depends on what is their emphasis, what's their focus when they get to USC. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that whoever is hired by the USC Board of Trustees is not their first thing. It's not going to be look at the athletic director and be like, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. They're going to That'll take at least a year-long process. We'll fill them out. We'll see, you know, how I like them type of thing. I don't think that there's, you know, necessarily a giant turmoil over the athletic department besides the football team being bad, but I just don't think that's a priority for the school anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to tell. who's. We don't know who's going to be hired. Um, so I, I doubt that that's the first thing that they would come in and do. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Um, Tommy also says, what do you think of Lynn Swan supporting Helton, even with this being one of the worst showing as a team in two decades? Doesn't make much sense to me, but I'm not him. <laughs> sure. Fair. But also, like I said, we talked about earlier is how much power does he have? Maybe it's best to support Clay Helton because... Well, I can't fire him, so what's it going to look like if your athletic director is like, yeah, I don't really know what to do about him, but my hands are tied here, so I can't do anything. 
It's, I mean, it starts from the very top. There's big decisions that were made for wrong reasons, and that's why you're in this situation. Like, the coaching hires, the athletic director hires. I, I missed a, t a tweet by Dan Walken from a few days ago that I retweeted this morning that Pat Hayden set the USC Athletic Department back by 10 years. And I 100% uh, agree. I mean, his, his hires were Sark, which completely changed the power structure in the Pac-12 by allowing Chris Peterson to go to Washington. Yeah. And you, you hire a head coach who's lasts a year and a half and flames out and sues the school. And I mean, that's a horrible hire. Like you screwed up. You didn't look at his background at all. And you might've used that as a positive, like, oh, you can be my drinking buddy or something like that was awful. And then to go out and not go get someone outside of the family, you get that guy who your terrible hire you got his assistant. Like, that's who you hired. Like, and then you had the opportunity at Orgeron would have been, you know, stabilizing force, at least back then. You know, Clay Allen's been, I think, a stabilizing yeah. force, too. But for what happened at that point, the players leaving, transferring out, if you had to pick an interim coach, you picked the wrong one to, to hire. So um, he made so many bad decisions. And he's the guy that always has to be the smartest guy in the room. And there's no, I mean, Lin Swan does not have the qualifications to be the athletic director at USC. Just done, I mean, he was an idol of mine growing up, but and what what has he done that you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be a perfect fit. Uh, he's more of a figurehead. He's more of a CEO. He's more of a raise money for, you know, that's what Max Zaki has wanted, someone to come in and, and raise money. So if you get a president that comes in and like is told that and realizes that, I mean, maybe they make some sort of move. I just don't see something like that happening. USC desperately needs to bring in a sitting athletic director from another big time program to come in and assess everything and make a bunch of changes. Like 100% that will make, that nothing else would fix USC football and USC athletics faster than doing that. But USC has avoided doing that for the last like 30 years or whatever it's been like, Mike or 20 years. Mike Garrett, you know, all former football players, you don't need to do that anymore. You need to get a sitting athletic director from somewhere to come in and fix things. And until USC does that, I'm just not sure, you know, what you're going to be doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Rant. Over. Ryan rant. <laughs> oh, rant. We got a Ryan rant. A test <laughs> tester Troy wants to know from Shotgun, how did AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker, hold up in your eyes when I reviewed the tape? He looked better than both starters with the bite size showing that he had. Well, it wasn't really bite size, considering he got just as many reps as uh, Andrew Voorhees. Andrew Voorhees started the game. I definitely thought Elijah Vera Tucker looked better. Um, the fact that really? he played, he played a career high snaps in that game. So that tells you, I, I think, with the move to Tim Drevno, I think Drevno is give, gave him an opportunity. I thought he looked better in that game. I, I don't remember the grades exactly off the top of my head. Uh, I think he graded out slightly better than Andrew Voorhees. Uh, but he just has impact blocks more than Andrew Voorhees in my mind, in both positive and negative ways. I think that you know he doesn't have the the bad misses that lead to plays really being blown up. And when he does get out in front and gets his hands on somebody, he can really drive them. Um, I, I liked him better, but you know Tim Drevno wasn't quite ready to to anoint him as the new starter or anything like that. He just said it's going to be an open competition, uh, so they're they're battling for it right now. That's one spot that there's really a competition, but they say there's a competition everywhere, and that's no. not the case. <laughs> no, and that's only because Tim Drevno moved in there. I mean, Shaka and I have been AVT supporters from 
Really? I have at least. If you listen to the Family Feud podcast. No, I thought I thought you were not. I thought you didn't like him. Shotgun liked him, and you didn't. You're such a troll. I'm not. I'm you can not. tweet at Keely as my name. No, Go. stop trolling. <laughs> um, Brandon has or Brandonus Maximus has an interesting question. He says. Do you think Clay Helton should be let go? And if so, at what point in the season did you decide that that should happen? Hmm. Yeah, we talk about what we think is going to happen. Uh, I think Clay Helton did a lot of good things. Uh, probably a better record than what you would have expected for someone with his resume put into that job. Don't. I, I hate when people get personal with that. Like, if, if someone gave you some amazing job that you might not have been qualified for, you, you take it. Bruh, I'm taking it. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that. Give me some millions Bruh. of dollars. I'm in. Yeah. But if you're talking, and I don't know how to be a CEO, but I can do it. If you want to pay me, I can do it until you fire me at least. I think that at the very least, he needs to gut the staff and bring in someone, you know, a, a big time offensive coordinator, do all those kind of things. I think it's probably, it might be too late to actually do all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think from what you're seeing, they don't look like they're close. It, I don't feel this is a blip on the radar. I don't feel like they're close. I feel he had opportunities to make better hires and make changes before that he didn't do. And I think the time's kind of run out on that. So as, as much as I like him as a person, I think USC football would be better off if after the season, I don't think it's during the season, just after the season, they make a change. Now, do I have confidence that they would get somebody good? No, but I, I feel like it, this has kind of run its course. And he's, he's done some amazing things, but... If, you're, if your goal is still to go to the playoffs and win a national championship, I'm not seeing what he's doing getting you there. Texas. That's when I decided. Texas is when? Oh, yeah, when he decided. Late in the third quarter. When when you give up the field goal and you just saw that the entire team is like, it was over. There's no doubt that it was over with that team when they gave up that field goal block and return. The team had no life at all. And it wasn't just one game. It's, it was an accumulation of games. that They have no life on the sideline. There's no confidence that they're going to be able to turn things around. Or It's okay. We'll get, we'll get, you know, we can go on a drive now. And, turn, and you know, Because if they would have scored the next drive, it's back to I think it was like a 10-point game or something. It, 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 the field goal they were kicking would have made it a one-score game. Yeah. And instead, it completely flips, and it was just over from there. And the fact that they've had issues with special teams, there hadn't been any changes now. Granted, special teams have been much better. Special teams has really helped them uh, the last few weeks, uh, for the most part. So even with only ten men on the field, doesn't I mean it doesn't hurt them when they have ten. They haven't been burned by it yet. So I mean, yeah, you're playing with fire. I would say true. It's very hot fire too. <laughs> but it hasn't burned you yet. You know, it's still it's fun to play with until. <laughs> yeah, when Colin came on the Colin, you got burn marks and Colin stuff. Coward came on the show and he said he knew at Alabama. Um, he said, you know, the game, yeah. And obviously they, they did a lot of good things after that. But yeah. that's where you want to, yeah, like, they weren't competitive at all. Like, there's way too many athletes to, and I think early in the season two, Texas or, or Stanford, scoring three points against Stanford that I didn't think was a very good team at the time, and they were six and four or whatever they are now. That was kind of like, okay, this is bad. Like, this is, all the people that were saying it was Sam Darnold, I'm like, you're right. Like, it was Sam Darnold. Like, that's where I kind of convinced myself. I don't know what... I, not necessarily that I thought it was going to be over, but I thought it was definitely a downward trajectory at UNLV. The fact that all three problems that plagued USC the last two years of Clay Helton were still there against UNLV. Like, the offense didn't really have any rhythm. The defense gave up big, big plays. plays. Special teams was just 
special teams. You know, yeah. it was not good at all. And the fact that how the offseason was handled, you get Tim Drone as a running backs coach. Yeah. He's not a running backs coach. You know, like that's... He, no hey, matter, he's done it 20 years ago. <laughs> no, yeah, no matter how, what you want to spin that, that's not the case. You know, after the Cotton Bowl performance, you don't take a hard look at Neil Calloway. You, I just, I don't... To me, Helton not making tough decisions in the, off, the offseason. Off season, in the yeah. past offseason, where it's for me enough to be like, this is not going to It end. wasn't just the decisions, though. It was the pity pat walkthroughs for yeah. summer workouts. It was, it's just the culture. The culture at yeah. USC is not what it needs to be right now. Now, maybe if you get some new blood in, a new offense coordinator, new whatever, maybe that changes things. But I mean, you need a I, culture I said, change. Yeah, yeah, you need a culture change. You're not going to do it with the current staff you have. I said it at the Utah game. If you didn't know already, then there's no way that the, the current staff was going to win a national championship. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Now, how much new blood do you have to bring in? I don't know. Can you go a full Brian Kelly, a full reconstruct, and Clay Helton win? It's possible. You're only as good as your coordinators as a, as a head coach. You're only as good as your coordinators. If you're a good CEO, you hire people underneath you to make you look good. Now, can Clay Helton do that? Yeah. Justin Wilcox method, as Ryan says, all yeah. the time. Although their offense hasn't been very good, but whatever, you know, figure it out. True. <laughs> uh, but they did hire a head coach as their offensive coordinator and a guy that was scoring 50 points a game. So, like, that that makes sense. Like, if that doesn't work, at least you tried. You yeah, know? you tried. You don't want to be, like, head-scratching decisions. Like, you're, you're Clay Helton. You needed to make, like, solid here. Oh, that makes so much sense. Not... Tim Drevno is the running back. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like it makes what? sense until you said running back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, but that's the kind of stuff. It's like you know, Dylan McCullough made sense. I think the only hire that's really made sense. Like it's more expected. Like oh, you're gonna just promote Brian Ellis. Okay, so he's yeah. been one year as a wide receiver coach, and that's it. And you'll let him coach your your rookie quarterbacks. Like that's a head scratcher. Like yeah. It was, oh, you hired this quarterback guru guy who can work with these young quarterbacks? That would make sense, you know? But you did the familiar thing, and that's where, you know, that's where the issues are. Yeah, I would agree. Jesse says, does a win over a two-win UCLA team really save Helton's job? Uh, It might. (laughs) Like, to be honest, it might. The, The whole thing when you talk about the rivalry games, I love the way it's been described to different people, but beating UCLA isn't as important as not losing to UCLA. It's way worse to lose to UCLA. The, the, the bad feelings for USC fans of losing to UCLA far outweigh what the good would be of beating UCLA. But the exact opposite is true for Notre Dame. You get this huge high every time you beat Notre Dame, and it sucks to lose to Notre Dame, but it's not like the end of the world. Every time you go to the grocery store, there's a guy in a Bruins shirt or whatever. So it's sort of like... You have the upside of, you know, Clay Allen has upside. If he can beat Notre Dame, that's huge. Um, there's not a lot of upside to beating UCLA. But the downside to losing to UCLA, I think, is tremendous. So I don't know if it, like, saves his job. But certainly if he loses, I, I'm just not. If if they still don't make a change after, if, if you lose to UCLA and they don't make a change, I don't know. I mean, they were decided, like, nothing's going to happen to change the staff, no matter what. Which begs the question, I guess, going forward, how much does losing the fan base really have an impact? I mean, I when I posted this analysis, I got multiple comments that was like, I am not renewing my ticket. So like, I'm a big donor. I'm not doing this. And so, I mean, at what point does that start to affect things? Clay was asked about that on Tuesday, about losing the fan base. And he talked about fan passion and... 
and Twitter and all this kind of stuff. But it's, I mean, it's a legit um, thing. We don't normally get a consensus, like on our message boards, for example, on the Peristyle. You know, if you're on USAFootball.com, a message board, you want to get on there and chat with everybody. Usually it's like two fractions fighting, like uh, two factions where you have, you know, if it's like politics, like Democrats or Republicans, whatever, like there's two sides that are fighting. Like we love Clay Helton or we hate Clay Helton. There's not two sides anymore. Everyone's on the same side. You have like a consensus. There aren't any supporters or very few, if there are, left. It's more about, okay, here's when I came over. Here's when I decided that I'm no longer going to support this stuff. We never get that. Like for that to, to, it's like getting peace in the Middle East. Like it just doesn't happen. That's what it's come to. So he has lost the majority of these fans. I'll do some radio shows where people are like, you know, he did win the Rose Bowl and he, you know, like national pundits that not necessarily like following all the time. Yeah. The people that care, the people that follow all the time, they've seen enough and it's, you just don't normally get that all the time. Yeah. Shotgun? Nothing bad. All right. Yeah, it's interesting because if you tweet a lot at me, I start to remember who you are in your faces. And there's, like, a couple people who are, like, diehard, like, defend Clay and USC to the end. And they've changed their tune. And that's when you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I think I still owe you some. I'm going to try to look for some of that. You were looking for some of that, too. Yeah, I mean, there's people that have been like, I was a sunshine pumper. So if you don't know, the Sunshine Pumpers are like, doesn't matter, you know, USC hires an Oreo cookie to be the head coach. It's going to be great. I love Oreo cookies. You know, like, they don't care who it is. It's just, it's USC and it's going to be awesome. Uh, those Sunshine Pumpers have really, there's not many of them left. Uh, they've, they're days of defending what you're seeing, which in, in, in reality is kind of strange because he did have like a great record. I mean, he won 21 games in his first two years. Like there's real results that you can point to but it also shows like how many schools could go one and three and end up winning the rose bowl like it's you have all these advantages of usc so you see that you see the talent is there yeah there's a huge talent gap between a lot of the teams usc plays and so it's not like beating colorado beating oregon state is gonna like oh yeah we're great it's like no it's like yeah i mean it's like anybody, it's, you feel like an Oreo cookie could coach the team to beat Oregon State. You know, like that's the sort of thing. True. Um, just as a reminder, if you guys could like this video and maybe hit the subscribe button, that helps us out. So if you could do that, that would be great. We have a question yeah. from Dakers, 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 who says, who hired Lynn Swan? Max Nikias, the president of the university. So they were going to do a big, uh, they, they paid a search firm. Wait, what, is, what does Max Nikias like to do? Raise money. Oh, what would Lynn Swan be really good with older donors that grew up watching the Trojans in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? He'd be good at raising their money. Huh. Yes. That's <laughs> why he was hired. 100%. Um, Wait, you don't mean for his resume as an athletic director? No. It turns out he's never, like, hired anybody before, so. He's never been an athletic he's director He's never been before? in that administration, never managed, like, a whole bunch of people, like, never, like, stuff like that. Did run for government, though. He did. He did uh, do some political. Had some political aspirations, uh, but yeah. At least Pat Hayden. There were some different things that could sort of translate, but still, he's never had any experience doing that either. And Pat Hayden was around the program. Like he would be at the Coliseum going to games and stuff. Lin Swan was living in Pennsylvania, like nowhere near the USC football program. He's more of a Steeler person than a USC person at the time. But that, yes, that's he was hired by Max Nikias. And everything Max Nikias did, from what we understand now, 
and everyone I've talked to is it was about fundraising. I mean, the $6 billion thing, is like a big deal. Like that's, I mean, that's amazing that he was able to do that. But I think you were sacrificing a lot of other things for the almighty dollar, for the fact that you could try to raise $6 billion. And then he was bumping it up to $9 billion. Um, but he was hired to raise money, not to run a competent athletic program. You mean they're giving up things to raise money, almost like in the uh, medical school as well, and you know, yes. a lot of other things. That's been an issue at you. You let the dean of the medical school uh, have his parties, parties, because he's going to, and then money. go into surgery and stuff the next day because he was very good at smoozing with Hollywood folks and raising a lot of money. And so when people would complain about it, you would ignore it because he's really good at raising money. So that's been an issue at USC. So yes. we'll see if anything changes with a new president if they ever get one of those. You know, that's going to be like a 42-year plan, it looks like, to hire a new president. I was told, like I think I said this before, I was told probably like spring, summer-ish, like is when they would get somebody. Why so people are like, so long to hire somebody? Unless they're waiting on somebody to be, you know, get their retirement at some other school or something or whatever. I don't yeah. Know. The tea is being spilt today. We're, we're getting into some spice. Are we going to like get kicked out of school? Like, you know, I, I spoke at uh, Jeff Fellinger's class, like his uh, introduction to sports media and I, they were asking me all kinds of USC questions and stuff and one of the you know unbeknownst to me in the beginning one of the football players was actually in the class were you trashing uh, the team like I mean I wasn't I was being like this you know like <laughs> they're but for the most part I'm never getting personal with players or yeah. coaches you yeah. know you just but you're saying like you know if if I'm running this site and I you know when I started running the site I started it as an engineer, like, did I really have the background to do it? Like, probably not, you know, but like I did it over years and, and you kind of prove it out. Yeah. But when you're hiring, if, if I was going to get hired by a, like Sports Illustrated wouldn't have hired me back when I started the site because I don't have any experience doing that kind of stuff. USC kind of ignores that stuff. It's like, they just, oh, experience, resume, what, what, what does that matter? You know, let's, I like you, like, let's, let's hire you. Sometimes you can do that, you know, but man, they've just done it so many times. Just base it on, you know, base your hires off a resume once. But I was, I was very critical of the team. People were asking. It was a lot of questions about like, uh, sport. They, you know, they're aspiring sports journalists, so they would ask questions about getting hired and internships and things like that, and what we do, the history of the site. But there was a lot of questions about the team too, and I definitely did not pull any punches and was very. Uh, and and Lynn Swan's been a guest of Jeff Fellinger, and I was very critical of him, and I apologize, Jeff. Like, sorry, you know. I told him, like, he's my idol growing up. Like, I, it's not like trashing him because I don't like him. Like, he was like, I drew pictures of him in, like, kindergarten catching passes in the Super Bowl. Like, literally grew up idolizing the guy. So it's not easy to be very critical. But and, and it's, I don't think it's his fault that he was hired. But, like, why the heck was he hired? That's that's more on USC side. I don't blame Clay Helton for getting hired or taking the job. It's like, dude, take the job. That's amazing. And if you can... He could he could do it well if he made some really tough decisions that he hasn't made so far. Yeah, I feel like I'm ranting my ass off today. Ryan since you're ranting, rant. since you're ranting, someone wanted to know. Please list those coaching prospects that re meet the Ryan rules, experienced, successful college head coaches, and could realistically be recruited to USC. They don't believe that there's many out there. Really? Like Iowa State, Matt Campbell. Like, dude, you guys <laughs> kicking ass. Like. He doesn't know USC. He's really successful in college. Or Dino Babers at Syracuse. They're like number 15 in the country right now. Like, there's there's plenty of guys like that. Jeff Brom at Purdue. Like, dude, get the, You know, there's guys like that that USC doesn't ever, ever even look at. So, yes, there's plenty of dudes out there. The people that say that, like, 
oh, why would you want to come to USC? Because it's freaking USC, people. Like, it's, it's the whole thing when Dylan McCullough came and was, he got to recruit running backs at USC versus Indiana. He worked his ass off at Indiana trying to get someone to convince them to change their mind. You don't have to do that at USC. If you're good, you're going to do well at USC. So just go get someone good. It seems so simple. It's, it's just not that hard. <laughs> it's not. I, I'm loving this Ryan rant session. That I really, I, like, I've now. spoken for so many hours. I've done so many shows over the past couple of days. It's insane. So I think I'm out of gas, but <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. Delirium. Jesse says, why does it seem like every time USC goes up against another blue blood program like Alabama, Ohio State, etc., they look noticeably smaller? Is this a strength and conditioning issue? I don't know if they noticeably smaller. Ohio State looked much bigger. Yeah, Ohio State. But the defensive line had like seven NFL guys on it. I mean, that that was okay. That's that's sort of an anomaly, you know. Their um, offensive line looked better, bigger. They did. Their whole team looked bigger. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Throw them under the bus too. Whatever you want. I'm done. Georgia I looked bigger when I saw them in the Rose Bowl. Oklahoma didn't necessarily look bigger. And then if you look at guys like Nico Fala, who suddenly was massive. When he, he got a lot bigger day, after like, he left USC. Yeah, I think I think that deserves taking a look at. I'm no expert on like strength and conditioning, so I don't know. But I, there's definitely been a lot of criticism there too. Um, but I, I mean, I can't tell you. Oh yeah, he's he's doing these kind of lifts. He should be. Doing, I mean, I don't know that stuff. It'd be Why? disingenuous to say that that. Oh uh, yeah, that's what the problem is. Yes. Gotta do more of those lifts. That lift. I don't know what that lift is, but that lift. Yeah. More squats. Why P.O. Boy says if USC makes a bowl game, do you see players skipping the bowl game to stay healthy for the NFL draft? I thought that was an interesting question. I don't know that there's a lot of players on this team that are heading to the NFL yeah. necessarily. There's not a lot. Like we There looked, might be one or two. When Chris was on the Sunday show, I think that came up about eligible juniors and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it would be seniors too. Like would a senior skip? Uh, um, like would, you know... Uh, Juma or... Juma Doga or something. Um, would Iman Marshall, those type of players. Yeah, like Cam Smith or anybody like what any people like that. I mean the defense maybe. I mean why I mean if you're going it depends on what Marvel the ball game is. I don't know. And stuff. Yeah. Like I don't know. A lot a lot of those it doesn't seem like a lot of those players would just by their character. Yeah. Um but there's not a lot of like there's not like a bunch I mean, of first round guys or it's anything. also what is the advantage of playing in that game? What game is it? You know, it depends on where you're going, what game you're playing in. If you think there's going to be a lot of NFL scouts there, because it could be depending on the opponent. I mean, if it could be an individual matchup. If Marvell Tell is going up against, just hypothetically, it wouldn't never happen, but uh, because of the conference. But if he was going up against a guy like Nikhil Harry again, then yeah, you go and show what you can do, expecting that there's going to be some scouts there to see Nikhil Harry as well. You want to prove yourself against someone else who's a national guy. So I, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, I don't think so, but. Seems like the Vegas Bowl is like the best. I mean, like six and six team ends up in the Vegas Bowl. Like that seems like right, you know. And that's like seems that changes things a little bit too because it's a early bowl game. It's like uh, December fourteenth or fifteenth or something. Crazy, yeah. So I think it's less likely to skip that because it's just kind of like a continuation of the season. Where if you're playing on like a December thirty first bowl game that in El Paso, you're like, yeah, I think I'm out. You know, <laughs> I I think it a lot of depends on that. The Lizard King wants to know what's with the revenge poster. Oh, I need so we need some background stuff uh, that was given to me by Fox. 
So that was actually for last year's USC Texas game uh, for Sam Darnold, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're getting a background put in here uh, at some point, probably by the end of the season. But we're we just kind of built this on the fly. We we finally got the intro going, though. You know that's cool. We we have music, so we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this throughout the the off season, everything too. Um, you know the schedule might change or whatever, but we'll it'll be more. You know we're just kind of going on the fly. When we started the show, it was like the beginning of the season, so everything gets super busy. So we should be able to make some changes and stuff in the off season too. Curtis, Some, someone oh. asked earlier, uh, who will have their Chad Morton moment? Uh, what was that one? Chad that Morton like, destroying UCLA? UCLA, yeah. Or you could say Alan Bradford. Alan Bradford had a big one. With multiple stiff arms that um, were photo-worthy. What was the one in 2006? Uh, right, someone, was it Ray Maluga? We don't have to keep up bringing up other people that have had their Chad oh, okay, Morton sorry about But that. who is going to have theirs? Yeah. Um, that implies that, like, USC will come out playing strong, which I'm not... You still have a really good game. I think Augusto Guerrero is going to play well, but it's not like... That I mean, was their pick as well. He's been really... I mean, he's been good, though. Like, he's got a chance to get a 1,000 yards. was really good at USC, too. Yeah, it? yeah. Just, like, have some huge breakout. Um, Doesn't have to be a breakout. Just have a you know, dominant performance against UCLA is always a, a bonus in the I'll go with I'll go with Augusto Guerrero. He's this been my boy, season. yeah. Yep. I've been riding his coattails. Him and Tyler Vaughn, who's been scoring... Lots of touchdowns. And the only two touchdowns of the game, Tyler Vaughn's. Bam. Josh Follow. Josh Follow could. touchdowns, maybe. That involves that would using be, the tight ends, which it's, it's a who knows? dangerous proposition to even consider. Did we, really, we didn't really preview this game at all. We will. No? I, will I just realized we're, that. We're like we'll after, get into that. We're over an hour in. <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, Curtis says, Ryan, how do you educate people to not think that Jack Del Rio or Jackson or Jackson type of coaches are the answer? Hugh Jackson. Oh, thank um, you. I was like, Jackson. Yeah, I mean, my thing is just college experience because it's a different game. And, uh, you know, I, we talked to Gerard Martinez. I think there's some, there's definitely some positives with a Jack Del Rio, but you're projecting. I mean, USC has always been hiring people you're projecting as opposed to, it, I guess everyone's projecting, but I'd rather you, at this point, just get someone that's been a college, it's currently a college head coach, and a Jack Del Rio hasn't done that. So that, that would be my issues with, with that. I don't have as much qualms about that. I mean, Herm Edwards is doing okay. Yeah, Herm's fine. But, I mean... Jim Herm, Harbaugh did better. Yeah. When he came back, he's fine. I mean, he started... He played it. I mean, he coached at uh, USD, University of San Diego. He worked his way up and then yeah, left he worked and came back. Up. But it's like... He went from the NFL and came back. Just USC is giving a lot of people, like, entry-level jobs at, like, at a CEO position. You know, it's, it's just USC yeah. keeps doing that. But they also have experience in a related field. It's not yeah. like you're going from from completely from environmental studies to, you know, woodworking or something. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what's on the other side of that. But. <laughs> Environment, to it, wood, maybe. They're related. Environmental studies to... Our apologies to all the wood, woodworkers out pre-med, there. Pre-med, there we go. You're not yeah. going to pre-med. So it's not like it's like going from environmental studies to working with the ocean. Maybe let Ryan handle the analogies. <laughs> I, I, I should have thought of food. Yeah, that's the Ryan movie. Right? I'm pretty good at food analogies. analogies. <laughs> I come up with them very well. Okay, <laughs> getting into the actual game that will be played on Saturday. Mm. There's a game? USC, UCLA. Ryan, I feel like you're very, since you do the Pac-12 podcast, you know what's the deal. What is going to be the biggest challenge for USC in this game? I mean, I think you got to just make less mistakes than UCLA because both teams are kind of mistake prone. If you watched UCLA against Oregon... 
they made about every special teams blunder you could possibly make. They screwed up so many different ways. Now, it was different against Arizona State. It's a feisty team. They're playing better football in the second half of the season uh, than they were in the first. Joshua Kelly, five you know hundred yard games. He's a he's a great guy. He transferred down from uh, UC Davis, you know, which is uh, kind of crazy. And they were they were using all these backs in the beginning, and now they got a guy. They got Joshua Kelly and. Um, I'm not sure what the quarterback situation. I think Wilton Spade will probably start again. They've had him and uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, just depending who's not hurt at the time. But uh, Caleb Wilson has been their leading receiver the last six games. You might remember him. He was on USC's roster. Um, he's no longer there. and He's, like, killing it for them. So I think I said at practice, like, does Caleb Wilson have 200 yards receiving or 300 yards receiving. So I think he's going to have a big game, no matter what. And they're going to throw it to him a lot. Um, I think he's going to have some success. But Joshua Kelly, if they can, if he can get close to 100 yards again and, and run the ball, um, they're going to run uh, 80 plays. This isn't the blur Chip Kelly offense. This isn't like run as fast as you possibly can, but it's it's quicker, you know. Um, so it's a little bit different. You know, USC's changed their their practice um, schedule. Their special teams are pretty awful. Uh, we'll see how they do. And the defensive side, they've got beaten up. They've given up a lot of a lot of plays. So, and I don't think it's a terrible matchup for USC. It seems like pretty favorable, but both teams just have a tendency to make a bunch of mistakes. I kind of think it's going to be close. USC's favored by like three and a half or so. Um, but I would not be shocked at all if USC just like wins by twenty-one or something because they're just like this is just. The athletes just kind of shine, and UCLA makes a bunch of mistakes. I could kind of see that happening, but this is going to be a big game for UCLA. Uh, they're going to—I think they're going to come in and play better. I think Cal. I said they're going to—they're deep. Their offense was going to come in and play better. They didn't play well in the first half, but they didn't make the mistakes that they were making in the other games, and that—that that ended up winning them the game. So I kind of think UCLA is not going to make as many mistakes as we've seen before. Uh, That's not making a big. Jump yeah. when USC can't intercept a pass. No, that's true too. But there, I mean, they make all kinds of like bad penalties. There's a lot of similarities between the two teams where you have kind of athletes making plays, but um, not so much. But you know, watch Joshua Kelly, watch uh, Caleb Wilson. I think those are you know, if those two guys are having a good game, then I think UCLA will have a a better chance. If if they're not, if you, if Clancy can shut them down, and Clancy's been pretty good about shutting down good running backs and stuff. Um, I think they've been pretty good. Uh, with that, so we'll see. Um, but I don't know, kind of. It's either going to be like US, USC wins by like twenty-one, or it's sort of like this close game that one team wins by a field goal. I think probably the latter because yeah. it's a rivalry game. Uh, I tweeted late in the UCLA Arizona State game. I don't know if he finished with this. I think he did. Caleb Wilson had eleven catches for one hundred and sixty-four yards and two touchdowns in that game. USC's tight end group, as a whole. <laughs> As a whole, going into last week's game for the Josh, season. Now, Josh Follow did have a you know a twenty yard catch or so, and Eric Roman Hook had a short catch for the season through the first nine games. USC's tight end group had fourteen catches, one hundred twenty nine yards, and one touchdown. So three more catches, about thirty five less yards, and one less touchdown than Caleb Wilson had in a day. In one game, yeah. Whew. No, he he's a right. weapon, man. He, he was on USC. Yeah, like he was, and he was he a wore, weapon. He was a weapon at practice. Then he wore the cardinal helmet. He did all that stuff. He did do all that. Yeah, he did. Do um, he didn't have a place. USC. You know, we'll reiterate the story because some people are asking about it. But basically, Caleb Wilson would have liked to have stayed at USC. 
he would like to. You know, he's a bunch of friends on the USC team because all the Sarah connection. His dad was let go by Clay Halton, defense line coach Chris Wilson, who went to Philadelphia and led that defense to a Super Bowl title. Um, did wasn't a great fit at USC, I don't think. You know, it just didn't seem like his defense lines didn't play great. Uh, but Caleb Wilson wanted to stay at USC. USC did not have an open scholarship to give him, and because of that, he went to where there was an open scholarship. Now he had been on scholarship as a you know as a student of a uh, employee of the school, so he was going to USC. So he was really a walk on at USC. Yeah, which is a great walk on to have. Walk ons that now is catching eleven catches for one hundred sixty four <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. But they didn't really have. He played like quarterback too at Sarah and stuff yeah. for a while. Yeah. So it was a development for him to become a tight end, and you, we saw flashes of it at USC. And he still had to get bigger and stronger, and he's done that at UCLA, and he's going to be a dude in the draft. Yeah. That's true. So uh, there's that backstory. Predictions. Predictions. Mm, I kind of gave you the either or. I picked for the podcast of champions. I picked. Uh, I think USC wins by a field goal, something like thirty-one twenty-eight, something like that. I have no clue. I'm just gonna say that. I have no yeah. clue. Pulling Achilles this week? Nah, I just I just don't know. I mean this should be Cal. I mean I felt like I've been on with all my predictions this year. <laughs> but then it's always like, well they should have done. I'm like, how do they lose that game? That didn't make any sense. No, but that's what I'm but saying. then you have to know going into it, like it's probably not gonna make any sense. Which is why they'll probably win like seventeen. I don't know how many USC fans are gonna actually be there. Six. I mean I've talked to all six of them. <laughs> There's just, I mean, because this is like, that's a little bit of a trek. It's not a home game. It's awful parking there. Parking's it's bad. It's going to be at 1230. Yeah. You're going to have to leave. It's, you should just try to get there at 6. Yeah. So I think there'll be UCLA fans for sure, but I'm just not sure there's going to be. Sometimes you go to the, the Rose Bowl and it's like more than half USC fans. I, I don't even know if the UCLA fans want to come. Yeah, no. Yeah, you do. You do. Says the former UCLA fan. This is this is the Super Bowl for, for the Bruins, you know? Yeah, it, it really is. I'm speaking from former experience. This is the game that you show up to. Because yeah. Come on, guys. This, is more, USC, this if, is more toilet bowl than Super Bowl. This is, okay. Thanks to Joey Kaufman for this. So, 88 years these two teams have been playing. Combined 13 losses is the most ever in the series. So, UCLA's 2-8. and eight, USC's 5-5. Five and five. No time have these two teams played it had at least 13 losses. So, Grand, there's more games to lose nowadays than there were in the past. Still a lot of freaking losses. <laughs> That's a lot of losing. That's a lot of L's. Like, every time you get saddled with an L, an there's L. a lot of L's. Whoopsie. I guess my, my view is that USC, like, this is the last regular season game for USC fans. Like, you're not going to want to come on a Thanksgiving weekend to watch USC probably get trounced by Notre Dame. You know, like that might is, be the lowest attended. Well, Notre Dame no, fans, Notre Dame, Notre Dame fans are going to be there. Uh, yeah, mass. that's true. Yeah, if and they mass go before they go to mass. <laughs> Fair, yeah. I mean, but with the construction and with the team being, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I don't know. People will show up and they'll watch on TV. We what? don't know. We will be on the sidelines. We will be there. That's. I felt like I knew a lot about the Cal game. This one, I'm just not sure. Like, I feel like it's going to be muddy. Like, offense, defense is going to be muddy. And then USC is going to win on some weird fluke special teams thing like they did last year. That's my gut feel. I don't know. What was last year? The Michael Pittman fake. Oh, return. yeah, yeah. That was kind of crazy. I mean, coming into that game, we were like, oh, USC should run all over UCLA. They have the worst run defense in the in the. FBS, and then nothing really happened. They couldn't run the ball, which tells you a lot about their offensive line. Yeah. 
So they'll run a better ball better this week. Yeah, big setware. Setware is going to have a have himself a game. I don't we'll know. See. I don't know what to tell this you guys. This is a like, shrug game. I feel it's like I'm saying the shruggy. same stuff. I don't know what to do. It's like, you know, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to help. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. But I've had some people say Ryan is awesome and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so you guys like my rants? Of course it is. Of course you sound that. I happen to see on YouTube people said no. Just kidding. <laughs> I, this is on Periscope. I don't know. Um, Already. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Energizer Bunny Ryan is running out of steam. <laughs> <laughs> I need some sushi or something. <laughs> Alrighty. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No. Pop bubble. <laughs> USC has to run the ball, and they can run the ball against that defense. If they yeah. run the ball well, then that sets up everything else. So it all again, once again, goes back to uh, the offensive line. We need just a drop every it time it's played for you. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. The offensive line plays well or win. Same thing as every week. It is what it is. Uh-huh. Did the offensive line play well last week? Not really. No. Did they win? No. No. <laughs> yeah. All righty. That's going to wrap it up. I think I'm going to intro us out with our intro. I like that. Yeah. yeah we'll do that. Okay. I'm Keely Orr. That's Chuck Unspired Link. That's Ryan Abraham. We'll see you guys on Sunday to break down the game. If there's madness at USC, which usually there are. So we'll be here talking about it. Make sure you join us. 7 p.m. on Sundays. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. It's called an outro. Outro. That's what I thought I was. <laughs> I knew you had something snarky to say.